Well, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. It's been a, it's been a beautiful week. I hope you got out to uh, to enjoy some some of the world out there with the beautiful weather. Um, for me, I've actually I've been sitting at home all week waiting for a phone call because I don't know if you knew, but like last week, um, my microphone was accidentally turned on during the singing time, and I figured with it being online and with it being broadcast, like somebody would have heard me sing. And they would have offered me a music career, and uh, I, I haven't heard, I haven't gotten a call yet. But I, I started to work on work on business cards. I actually, you know, the staff afterwards they were like, "We heard you sing," and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> that's not good." And their phrase, the phrase they said was, "It wasn't that bad." So I, I, I put that on my business card. It says, "Vocal instructor, not that bad." So if you need help at all, let, let me know. But uh, no, just, just uh, want to start have a little bit of fun. Hey, if you're part of our online audience and you're watching at home, like we love you. I, lo- I would love to just give you a big old hug if you were here, uh, but, but you're not. So just feel loved and feel important and feel valued. Um, if, you, if you ever want to join us online, if, you, if you're waiting for a vaccine or you just kind of been like lurking quietly in the background, we love you and, and would love for you to find a home here. Uh, I promise everybody be really kind or, or I'll kick them out. And uh, no, uh, we, we'd just love to have you, uh, have, have you join us here. So uh, l- l- let's just kind of... 50,000 foot view here this morning. Let's start out this way. Why are you here? Not just like, why are you in this building, but why are you alive? What do you breathe? Why do you, why do you eat? Why do you go to work? What do you do? Why? What's the why behind it all? It's really something that we've been searching for. Humanity's been searching for since humanity could think. The, the why behind life. And, and it's been fascinating for me to watch um, specifically American culture kind of go through this journey of, of wanting to push away from the idea of religion and, and God and really quite successful at, at, for the most part, moving away from the idea of God being a, a reality. Uh, but what's fascinating is to watch sort of like the fallout of that where most, most of the world is kind of going, yeah, like, yeah um, maybe God's not real. But then they, they feel like there's part of life that's missing the why. Like, what is this all about? If you take God out of it, if, if God's not a part of it, and, and it's just us, and we're just like this thing that happened to randomly come into existence, then what's the meaning? What's the, what's the point? And so what we see now is like the, the scientific world is sort of colliding with the desire to have a narrative, to, uh, to have a story about this all, like the, 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 the why. And so the scientific world is, is going, well, we don't really have a why other than just like for the species to exist, and, but, but where does that desire come from? And so then what our culture has done is, is we've looked for this, this narrative, this meaning, and instead of finding it in God, we've really kind of just made it about us. And the new, the new why that is being just espoused by our culture is this idea of, of find your truest self. Like, you be you. This is your day. This is, this is about self-realization, self-actualization, self-fulfillment. And I'm going, like, and for me as a pastor, I'm going, like, so the narrative, like, God's not real, but we need to have meaning. And, and so your answer to the meaning is you. And it's become incredibly selfish. 
And it's been fascinating to watch this. I don't think it's going to be satisfying. I really think that it's going to leave a lot of people very, very empty, looking for something more, because we know what selfishness does. Selfishness repels people around us. It pushes people away from us. And so, so we, have this, we, we live in this world where, where the meaning of life has just kind of been this heightened self-indulgence. And uh, Carl Truman, who writes this book, if this stuff interests you at all, he writes this incredible book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a very intellectual book about how we kind of got to this point in society where it's really all about you. It's all about the individual. You find your identity by just, by just making you the most important thing in the world. And Carl Truman, he, he says this, he says, uh, about morality, about how right and wrong have been just redefined to be whatever works for the you. He says this, in other words, the language of morality as now used is really nothing more than the language of personal preference based on nothing more rational or objective than sentiments or feelings. He says morality has really just become whatever you feel like. And we use the term morality, and it sounds good, but at the end of the day, this is really just kind of selfish. And it's whatever you want to do. And so, so we live in this world where this sort of empty, self-centered morality has kind of taken over. And what the Scriptures offer is something far different. That, that morality isn't about turning the world inward. Narrative isn't about turning the world inward. It's about really turning it outward. Jesus says to husbands, lay down your lives to love your wives. That who you are is not based on what you do. It's about, it's about turning yourself outward to love other people. And what Jesus calls us to is nothing so fickle as what do you feel like today and really something quite deep to say that you should love God and love others. What a fascinating thing to see this world kind of like collide, this, this sort of the scientific world and this desire to love others collide perfectly in Jesus. Yeah, this world is real. He made it. He made it scientifically. It exists. But at the same time, it exists for a purpose that he, as the creator, gets to bestow on us. And so what we're looking at in this, in this Go and Leave series is, is this idea where his morality has authority over us. And I understand, like, in our society, that's a foreign concept, that somebody would have authority over us because really in, in the you-centered world, who has authority? You. But here we've got the scriptures in, in, in Jesus, and we looked at this story where Jesus meets this woman who's caught in adultery, um, and everybody wants to condemn her, and, and Jesus offers her grace and mercy. He says, I don't condemn you, but, but do you remember the line that he says? He says, he says, whoever's without sin throws the first stone. That's, that's the one that we, we focus on in that story. But really the ending, the ending statement is the one that's the most powerful and should catch your eye the most, where he says to the woman, go and leave your life of sin. Like, leave it. And so we talked last week about how sin is just like negative. It's toxic. It's draining. It's, it's not just disobedient to God, but it's this experience of death in life. In, in our you-centered world, that, that, that doesn't exist. So this, is, this has become sort of this ancient, archaic message, and, and does it still work is the question. Yeah, it does. And I'd encourage you to give it a try. So we're going to look at Romans. We're going to look at Romans, where Paul in Romans chapter 6 is, is, is sort of dealing with this desire to do things which are sinful, self-centered, and they're away from God, 
versus this desire to, to do what loves God and loves other people. So if, you, if you're new to the Bible, if you're at home, you're new to the Bible, you're here and you're new to the Bible, just think of the Bible as almost like this library of a bunch of different books, all, all pushing towards the same end, that Jesus is the creator, he's the savior, he's, he's the one who redeems it, makes everything wrong in this world right, and it's all about him. But there's sort of these different library books that, that like maybe there's a poetry section that expresses it that way, and there's this historical narrative section that expresses it that way. There's a prophecy section. We're going to look at sort of, the, in the book of Romans, what, is, what would be the church policy section. Like this is how church life and church belief is supposed to go. This is where it can go wrong, and, and this is where it needs to go right. And specifically in Romans chapter 6, you see Paul is going to say that we have this new status through faith in Jesus Christ. Like you have a, a new family, you have a new future, you have a new why to life that you would do everything for him. Because he's done so much for you, you would do everything for him. So let, let's read it. Romans chapter 6 says, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we talk about this, Lord, as we contemplate what not a, a, a me-centered, but really a God-centered existence looks like, that the idea of sin, we would, we would look at it from your perspective to understand what it is and really how you want to free us to, to live fully for you and what that means to sort of flourish as a human being, to have full life in Jesus Christ, that our families, our friends, our coworkers are just fully loved because sin is behind us. Lord, I pray that you strengthen us for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So a couple years ago, my wife and I were out on, on a, a date at a restaurant, and it was nice, nice. Uh, nice night out, and uh, we were sitting there, we were eating our food, and looked around, and we saw a couple that we knew from church, and we just kind of waved and smiled, they waved and smiled, they were on a date, we were on a date, we weren't going to like go over and talk with each other, and, and that was really the last that I thought about them, till, till the time came to pay the bill, right, and the time came to pay the bill, and the, the server came over, and they said, there's no charge for you tonight, I said, what, what do you mean, and they said, well, somebody has taken care of this for you. I thought, wow, that's, that's really nice. I should have ordered a little bit more. I should have got the lobster and another steak. Can I get takeout? Can I do that? But, but no, it was really generous, right? They paid for me. And what Paul is saying in Romans 6 is, is that through our faith in Jesus, you're kind of joined at the hip with him. Like he's paid your tab for sin. He's dealt with the punishment side of this. And so because of that, because we're alive with him, because we're connected with him, he's, he's paid for us, then, then let's live for him. Let, let's follow after him in, in life. And, and the idea here, here is that Jesus loves when we leave sin. 
He loves it because we get to be who he created us to be or, or get sort of back towards that. And I understand like none of us are going to go out of here and we're never going to sin again. But that doesn't mean that we just stop caring about it. But, but we're going to walk on this journey to say, God, I'm going to do what you like because you've done something incredible for me. And, and I realize that's really, really tough to talk about just entirely leaving sin. In some ways, I like, as I think about the idea of like leaving a life of sin, I think of it like trying to run away from your own shadow. Like, good luck. Where are you going to go that your shadow can't come with you? So I, w- I want to talk about three, three things that make it really tough to leave a life of sin and how Romans 6 kind of speaks to them um, and says, yeah, it is tough. It is tough to run from your shadow, but it can be done. And so let's talk about it. Um, the, f- the first one is that sin, sin before it's like an external thing, sin is always a battle internally. It's always a battle within our own heart, within, within our own heads. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was looking for a volunteer to say, hey, I'm, I'm working on this project. I'm looking for a person who uh, I, I, I would put a word, you know, like remember the comment strip bubbles that, that show above your head whatever you're thinking? I'm looking for somebody to do that in life to go around and, and have this word bubble above your head that shows exactly, exactly depicts everything that you're thinking throughout an entire week. All the good, all the bad, all the self-doubt, all the hate towards others, all the anger, all the, the things you think, and then you regret that you thought them. I, if I was looking for a volunteer, would you be willing to do that? I was talking with another pastor friend of mine about this, and he's like, yeah, that doesn't sound good. And in the middle of our conversation, I thought something that was like a jab at somebody we both knew, and I was like, you mean like this thought I just had? And he was like, yeah, that was really bad. That that would be good that that didn't become a word bubble above your head. See, we do this. It's in our head. And this battle inside between what we know is right and what we want to be right or what, what is wrong, like... It just kind of goes back and forth in our head. That's why we don't really say out loud and do all the things that we think about because we recognize that some of it's wrong. So we have this like internal battle. Think, think about it. Like how often do you know it's wrong to talk about somebody behind their back and then you realize later you talked about somebody behind their back? Like even, even like we'll do like, well, I'm not like, I wouldn't say this about them, but if I was, this is what I'd say. Like, we just did it. Or, or how many times, like, do you know there's something good to do and you end up not doing it? Like, there's, a, there's plenty of times where, I, like, somebody is in need and I know I should want to help them, but then when the actual time comes to help them, man, it's really tough. Or think about in an argument. When there's that one thing that you know you can say that will just, just it'll put an end to it. That one thing that you know will get them. And part of you doesn't want to say it. You know you shouldn't say that one thing in the argument. Part of you doesn't want to say it because you know how much damage it'll do. But part of you wants to say that one thing because you know how much damage it will do. This is the battle of sin within us. And nobody else can really fight that for you. Like, there's, there, like, Pastor Matt or uh, one of the elders or, or somebody else from church can't, like, show up in your head and say, hey, don't say that. You're, you're going to have a lot of damage that you don't want if you say that. Like, I, 
This is between you and God. And it's this internal battle that really just wages war in our hearts. And what Romans 6 says is that Jesus, in what he did on the cross, didn't just like kind of level the playing field, but he, he stacked the odds against sin by rendering it powerless. It's like a lion without teeth. When I, when I was a little boy, I used to watch the A-team all the time. <coughs> a couple of illustrations coming up in the next few weeks that I can show you exactly how old I am. Um, but the A-team was like that. We, we, would, we would watch that a lot. And the A-team was always fascinating because they shot like hundreds of thousands of rounds, but nobody ever got shot. But people got, it was, they, but they won somehow. Like it, it never made sense to me if you watch the A-team. But one of the things that, that, that happened in several A-team episodes was like somebody took the firing pins out of the, the guns of the bad guys. So the guns looked like they were guns and they looked like they worked. But then when you pulled the trigger, nothing happened because there was no firing pin. Romans 6 is essentially saying that Jesus kind of took the firing pin out of sin. It can tell you what to do. Those desires can tell you what to do, but there's no control. There's no need to have to listen to that voice inside you that wants to disobey God and, and move in a way that's counter to what Jesus desires. R really, the terminology that we read here in Romans chapter 6 is, is actually, of all things, of all things, it's banking terminology. It's banking terminology. That Jesus has, like, defunded the power of sin. And he, he's put all of, the, all of the credit into your account. And he says, count yourselves dead to sin. It's literally like take out your, 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 your bank statement and realize that through Jesus Christ you have power over the things that are harmful and wrong and disobedient. That you're not weak. And Romans 6 is Paul's sort of this confidence building, like, you got this. Not because of you, not because of your self-will, not because of your determination. You got this because when Jesus died on the cross, there was something spiritual that happened that rendered sin powerless for anybody who's been joined at the hip to Jesus through faith. It's this incredible concept where... Jesus' desire is for you to walk after him and go and leave a life of sin. And he says, I, I freed you from it. Which is important because the second reason that it's difficult is because sin is, sin is uh, this is not a theological word, sin is sticky. Like it wants to hold you. It doesn't want to let you go. Like the, the negative patterns of communication that, that keep hurting the people close to you. Like it, it, the sinful desires that don't want to let you go. Like, lust doesn't want to let you go. It wants, you, wants to hold you where you're at. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles. It's like, it's like a trap to your feet. These desires within us that are wrong, they, 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 they trap us. They're sticky. When I was a kid, we used to play Candyland. You remember Candyland? Remember, remember this game, Candyland? Um, I think we got, there we go. Look at that. This is just like the most beautiful board game ever. Um, random story I'll tell you another time. I used Candyland to propose to my wife. Yeah, that's a cliffhanger. You can, you can figure that out. Um, but I love this game, except for those, those squares with the little black dots. Do you see them there? Look at them, right? Because if you got stuck there, you had to stay there. 
Like if you land on that, you had to stay there until you got the corresponding color to allow you to move on. And as a little kid, that was like, that was the worst. Because you'd be close to winning. You know, I had two brothers. Everything we did in life was competitive. Like even eating dinner at night, whoever could eat the most to eat the quickest, like you, you were somehow a winner in the family. Um, but, but everything was so incredibly competitive. And he landed on the black spot. And it was like, oh, man. And you'd always try to like, you, you, you like look underneath and you like see it. And then you try to grab two cards instead of one. And uh, the, the, this is how I play board games and why none of my brothers will play with me anymore. Like you, you flip over two so you can go past the, the black spot. The sin is that. And in a world that has kind of just come out and said like, no, 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 there's no morality. There's no, there's no right and wrong. You get to define morality. This is my heart for that world. You're going to live on that spot. And you're going to think that that's what life is meant to be, to just fulfill those desires all the time. And what the scriptures are saying is, no. That God created you not to be stuck, not to be entangled, but to be free. To not have desires that are harmful and negative, to, to be what holds you back all the time in life. And so this, this is my plea to you. If you're going to be a person of faith and you're going to join yourself to Jesus through faith, don't just trust the cross that he died on the cross for you and, and rose from the, from the grave to give you new life. Don't just trust the cross, but trust his, his teaching. Trust what he's imploring you to do. It's like you're on the stuck spot and he's just trying to pull you out. View sin that way. View whatever that, that struggle is in that light, that his hand is reaching out so you can see it. Because through, through 20 years of pastoral ministry, what I've seen again and again is, is that there's something that's just, it seems so pleasing about being on that, that spot that we're not willing to say, okay, I'll trust you to move off it. You have the power. You have the power. Do you trust him? Is where, what it really comes down to. Um, and, and then, so here's the third thing that makes it really difficult for us to, to go and leave a life of sin. And um, it's this, is that we have to learn that limits, limits aren't always negatives. We don't like limits. We don't. Just, just think about it. You don't like a speed limit sometimes. And when you leave here today, there's a limiting sign. No left turn. I'm not going to tell you my track record with that one. I work here every day of my life. And there's a little sign that says you can't, you can't do something. There's a limit there. There's a, the, even the, the mask thing, right? It's a limit. It's a limit. Or, or uh, you, you know, I, I got, my mom gave our boys a bunch of Easter candy the other day. And by default, I'm still one of her kids. So I got a bunch of Easter candy yesterday. Well, health tells me to limit, right? Not to say like, oh, peanut butter meltaways, chocolate-covered peanut butter egg, coconut egg, uh, chocolate-covered cherries, all of which I did eat yesterday. My, my general, like, there's, there's, a, there's a limit there. 
And limits are so fascinating to look at. We, we don't like them. Nobody, nobody likes them. Like I, I tell my kids this, this line all the, the time. Like I'll, I'll tell them to do something and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. Like I'm just this totally foreign person. Like why would you, you're telling me how to live? And I say this line to them all the time. I say, I'm not asking, I'm telling. I'm not asking, I'm telling. And, and that's their cue to, they better do it or they're going to get in trouble. And they hate it. They hate a limit in life. We hate limits. But here's the question. Just stop and think, why do you hate limits? There's two things that, that limits, I think, are so powerful to, to just stop and look at. Because it tells, us, it tells us, one, how much we really like or dislike authority. And two, it tells us what's so important to it. and What, what exactly is so important to us? Why is it so important? So if, if it's a mask, it's, it's freedom is so important to us. If it's food, then the, the, the pleasure of, of eating it is so important to us. If it's, if it's just, you know, I, I want to be able to speak freely. Well, that, that freedom is so, so important to us. Think of uh, sexuality, human sexuality. This is, the, this is the big sort of disagreement between the culture and the scriptures as far as a limitation. We're going, there's a limit here, and they're saying there's no limit. There's no limit. There's none whatsoever. Maybe, maybe like pedophile acts or maybe harmful acts, but beyond that, there's no limit. And the scriptures are going, like, hey, like sex is between a husband and a wife. And it's like, whoa, whoa are you crazy? You, you put a limit there? And he, here's my question about limitations. The ones that really bother us, why do they bother us so much? Because here's the deal. Like you see, limitations show you sacred ground. Like this is the area you don't get to touch. Authority, whatever the authority is, this is it. This is the ground you don't get to go on. But we, at the same time, recognize that limits can be a good thing, right? Limits can be very good. Like, I was talking to my kids about money the other day, and they were like, Dad, why don't you buy this? Why don't you buy this? Why don't you buy this? I'm like, well, buddy, because we'd be flat broke. Like, we could buy it all, but we, don't ha- we wouldn't have a house to live in. So we limit our spending out of wisdom. We, we limit our sexuality out of concern for God and out of the, the, the just what, what he's created life to be. We limit ourselves in, in wise way. God limits us, and it's not always negative. And what the Scripture's angle on this is, is fascinating is that something is limiting you either way. When it comes to sin, something's limiting you either way. Either God's limiting you in what is right and wrong, or you are limited, you're controlled by sin. Look at what it says in Romans 6 and verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. See both limits? The do not, there's a limit. Control, there's a limit. And so what the scriptures are teaching is make a choice as to what limits you. Either God and, and, and his wisdom or the desires themselves. Do not give in to sinful desires, Romans six twelve says. But desires is such a fascinating word to think about. In our society, desires has become identity. And the scriptures separate them. Like, here's who you are as a human being, created by God in his image. And then there's things that you can desire all around. And, and really what we're saying is that desires can be fickle. And identity is concrete. 
And wisdom says that God, in his wisdom, in his authority, in his, in his why to life, has the freedom to define which desires are right and which ones are wrong. See, I ask the question sometimes, what does it mean to be wise in an age of foolishness? What does it mean to be wise in an age of foolishness? And for, for me, part of that is accepting that limits aren't always bad. So think of it this way. Like, I love archery. Shooting a bow and arrow is one of my favorite things to do in life. If you gave me a bow and arrow, you could let me go for just hours and hours and hours. I wouldn't be looking at my phone. I wouldn't be doing anything. I just love to shoot bow. Until about a year and a half ago when I was drawing a bow back. And I was like, well, that, that hurts. It, it creates pain. So I'm like, okay, so I rest a little bit and I go back and I'm like, pull back again and it creates pain. And so then I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, it could be this. Let's let it go and let's see. And then I check back and he's like, you know what, let's get an x-ray and see what's going on. And the doctor's like, you have arthritis there. Okay, no big deal. I got another shoulder. I can shoot bow on the other shoulder. Same thing happens. My body naturally limits what my desires are. Now, I could just be saying, I could just say, you know what? I don't really care. I'm just going to continue to use it as if those limitations aren't there. And what's going to happen? It's going to get worse, not better. Jesus' teaching on morality is is saying, even if you desire to not have a right and wrong in life, that desire to not have a right and wrong doesn't make this all go away. And for you to continue in a life of sin is destructive for you. It's an experience of death in life. But I want to be crystal clear. Like We have a value that says everyone's invited. And when I say everyone's invited, I mean everyone's invited regardless of where they are on that journey of realization. Where, where they, like you don't have to clean yourself to, come up, to, to show up here. This isn't a church where you've got to get things in order to be able to show up here. This is a church where you can come and realize truth and see it from a perspective and begin to run after God. And we understand everybody's going to be at a different place on that journey. Wherever you are on that journey, I, I, I want you to know two things about leaving a life of sin. And there are two different scriptures. Um, so the first one's going to be in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and, and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, confession is an elimination of shame. Confession is, you know what confession is? We, like, we think of like the old school, like you sit in a room next to a, a guy and you can't see him, he can't see you. That's not the biblical idea of confession. Confession is just in your heart a prayer to God saying, God, I was wrong. Like my attitude towards my spouse or my kids was wrong. It's, it's the Greek word is homo legeo, to say the same. To say the same thing about your sin that God would say about it. And the scriptures are teaching here that, that confession is the elimination of shame, that he cleanses you. When I was a kid, my nickname uh, in, in my family was Messy Matt. Messy Matt, because no matter what we were eating, you could tell looking at my shirt at the end of the meal. I told you about the competition thing. I always won. 
I always finished my meal first, but it always showed up on my shirt and messy mad. Like it was always embarrassing. Like you go out somewhere and be like, oh yeah, there it is. In fact, I'm looking, no, I don't have anything. The confession is just like cleansing. It's, it cleanses your soul. And you need it. And you don't realize how much you need it until you do it. And so confession is this cleansing. But it's not just cleansing. Confession is a path to freedom. Look at what David in the psalm says when he confesses a sin of sex outside of marriage. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. That's, that's confession. Acknowledged my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Confession should be like an everyday thing for us. Confession is just, it's saying, God, you forgave this. Like, I don't know why I did this. It was wrong, but I trust you. And it's, it's cleansing and it's freeing. And, and no matter where you're at in life or what your struggle is, this, this same offer is to you. For you to say, Jesus, I, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that leaving a life of sin is kind of like running from your own shadow. You know how you run from your own shadow? You know how you, you run from it? You run to the light. You run to the place where there's just light everywhere and it just washes it out. Confession is to run to the light. To say, I was wrong. But Jesus, you forgave me. You died on the cross for my sin. And to find forgiveness in the light of Jesus Christ. What God's doing is this sort of progression in your life. And, and so like if you were flipping houses and you, 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 uh, you, know, you bought a house or you, had, you hired a contractor to come in and, and work on the house and, and he's redoing stuff. Imagine like if, if every screw he was putting in, like you came along behind him and you pulled the screw out. Or he's like putting drywall on and you're, you're just like wiping it off. See, God's trying to do something in your life. He's trying to work in a way that's progressive to build your character, to build your integrity, to make you the most loving version of you, to love God as much as you can, to love the people around you as much as you can. And, and sin just kind of follows around behind to try to undo what God did. What would it look like for you to leave a life of sin? For you to say, yeah, you know what? There is a limit here. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of sticky. Yeah, nobody else really sees this battle in my heart. But man, what would it look like for you to just give God the opportunity to say you can work in the sacred ground of my life? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much. Lord, your love for us is incredible. And as I see a world that looks for meaning and, and just you know, a why to life, Lord, they, they look everywhere but to you. 
And it's really kind of fascinating for me to wonder why, why, why not look to you? Why not look to you? But at the end of the day, I know it's because we just really hate anything that limits us in any way. But the sad thing is, without looking to you, we also don't see love. We don't see just this, this overwhelming love that you have for us. And God, I pray that that love would drive us to trust you in even the most sacred areas. In your son's name we pray. Amen.